0: As Ryan was going, you know, old, old school, I was starting to think about, I'm not sure if I can deliver a sermon old, old school. Uh, Speaking without amplification requires a great deal of focus and a great deal of talent. So I'm very grateful for this little thing, this little thing, and all the little things that make this thing sound larger than it is. You know, when you're preaching... If you don't know this, maybe you've ever wanted to preach, or you thought, oh, "Yeah, I'd like to do that. It'd be kind of fun." You need to know that when you do it, there's always a, a great number of expectations on you, on what you say, on what you don't say. Uh, people, certain people, like textual sermons. I mean, they really want—they want you to get in and just stay and just go verse by verse, line by line, word by word. They want you Greek. Uh, they want all of the Hebrew. They want—they want it all, just like that. And when you do that, they're real happy, but when you don't do that, they're, they kinda, I mean, they're not mad, but they're just, it's, it's, they, you just miss their expectations. There's some people who, who, they want the, 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 Bible, but they, they want it on topical stuff, you know, I mean, kinda how to handle your marriage and, and how to be a better parent and how to handle your money and how to be a better employer or a better boss and how to, how to bring practical elements. They really want topical things. And it's still from the Word, but just, you know do different verses over different things, different topics, and if you don 't do that i mean you 're still going to be a friend, but you you just kind of miss the mark i mean you just just kind of disappointed you miss their expectations. some people they really want you know their textual topical, they don 't care, but they want you to be passionate they want some they want some fire they want to be woken up, they want to be you know they just want to leave here excited and ready to go advance in the kingdom of God. Some people like, you know, sort of a visual. They like something that you say, you know, you get out an object lesson or tell a story. People like the stories. They love the stories. And if you do a, if you preach a sermon, you don't do enough stories, and uh, you kind of, you kind of lose their expectations. You kind of miss the mark. But tonight, I have all those expectations, and the biggest one is I gotta keep it short. And let me tell you, that's. That's more difficult than it seems. Um, tonight, of course, we have our Northside singers doing a, a concert right after worship, and I hope that you all will stay. And after the, the final song, uh, do a little changing around of the stage, getting the mics up and all that. Uh, the Northside singers were invited to come to the Eastwood Church of Christ and perform. We always hear them at, at songs and, or songs at weddings and funerals. But, uh, this was a special occasion for Eastwood, and, and so they worked up a special set, and they thought, well, you know, it was good enough for Eastwood, let's, let's, you know, let the folks at Northside hear that. So we thought that would be a good thing to do, and so we're gonna do that after worship tonight, and so I hope that you will stay for that, and be patient with us. So tonight, let's just jump right in, because I wanna look at a holy encounter. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever had a holy encounter, but you've never had, I know you've never had a holy encounter like this one that we're going to look at tonight. So, turning in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6, I hope a Sunday night crowd has their Bibles, either physical form or digital, a digital analog, however you prefer to do it. We see this, or this fascinating story of Isaiah's call, his commission, this vision that he had, and how it changed him. And we're going to, we're going to look at this sermon. Because I was given, you know, as I said, I was given my own commission to keep it short. And so I already had this sermon written and it was on the glory and the majesty and the splendor of God. And I was like, I don't know if I can work that in in 20 to 25 minutes. So this sermon is actually part one. And next week is part two. Because I think if we think about Isaiah's holy encounter, uh, it might just transform us like it did him. Hope you're in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read 1 through 8. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. "...is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. "'Woe to me!' I cried. "'I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty.'" And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me we got three important lessons and a takeaway. We're going to cover the first two lessons tonight uh, from this fascinating vision uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. The first thing that we understand is, of course, that God is holy. And it's really hard to to get an audience to understand the holiness of God. Because as as Isaiah so rightly said, we are a people of unclean lips, unclean minds, unclean hearts. We, We don't have the we, we have, we are so far removed from holy that it is impossible. Even saying the word doesn't do justice to the holiness and the power of God. Irreverence makes God irrelevant in our minds. Uh, give me, give you an example. Now, maybe you've used this phrase, but this is an example of what I mean by, by being irreverent. Some people use the, the phrase toward God, you know, that little man upstairs. I've been talking to that little man upstairs. I cannot think of a more irreverent. I mean, if you use the phrase little man upstairs with Isaiah, as certainly after having seen that vision, he'd say, oh, no, you don't know who God is. He is not a miniaturized version of you uh, with a long white beard, just kind of pulling the levers and pushing the buttons to keep your life in check. He is the holy, almighty, powerful, all-magnificent, glorious Lord, King of Kings. And it is so difficult in our mind, even as church-going people, even as Bible-reading people, even as God-worshipping, and I would say, generally speaking, especially in a Sunday night crowd, God-fearing people, to, to, to agree, to assent intellectually that we agree that God is holy. But a lot of times we just come at this idea that God, you know, I, I just, I respect God. And we talked about holy fear several weeks ago, you know. And and the, this encounter that, that people, whether Moses or Abraham, had when they encountered God, the first human reaction was instinctively fear. And, and, and what it meant to fear God. And, and we've kind of... Dumb that down to just respect, like I respect my boss. See, so we're not fully getting what it is to be holy. Holy is not just moral perfection. It's not just being good in, in the, the, the degree that you think of good. See, in our, in our way of thinking human beings, we think of good. It's a moving scale. If you ask a person, Am I, are you a good person? They say, well, I think I'm generally a good person. You ask people in the world, do you think you're a good person? Well, yeah, I think I'm a generally good person. What's well, a moving scale? I mean, I, there are people in, probably in federal prison for some very terrible crimes. You ask, are you a good person? Well, you know, I've done some bad things, but I'm not as bad as that guy. That guy is crazy wicked. See, it's it's, it's sort of a moving standard. And and we don't understand when we say holy that, that God is good, but not just good. He's perfectly good. He is utterly whole. The word meaning holy is complete, pure, righteous, sanctified, unique, unlike any other who has been, is now, or will ever be. He is holy. He's is 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 inimaginable. He's indescribable because there's only one like him. There's none other like the Lord our God. Um, Jim Baird, the past couple of weeks on Wednesday night, uh, has just done a phenomenal job of, of speaking about apologetics and and what it means to have the right view of God. And the very first week he talked about God being infinite, what that meant. In, infinite meaning, you know, you say God is strong. He's not just strong, he's all the strong. And that, that when God is smart, he's not just Brilliant, but he's all the smart. He's all of the smart, all of the brilliance, all wrapped up that there could ever be or ever has been. Every smart thought that has ever been had is perfectly lined up under his perfect knowledge. He's not just all powerful. He's not just powerful, but he's all of the powerful. He's all of the strength. He's all of the might. In First Samuel chapter two, verse two, another prophet by a different name. Said, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. When you examine any holy encounter, I, whether it's Jacob or Moses or Job or Isaiah, uh, all of them had this deep, deep, not just physical, but I believe. To their core, understanding that God was something that they were not, and He was so far beyond and above. Let's look at Moses' encounter. I know we're in Isaiah, but turn quickly to Exodus chapter, chapter three, verses four through six. Let's look at Moses' calling, just real quick, since I I put the burning bush up there. That would be good to do. Moses three, four, and six, <clears throat> chapter three. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. He's looking at this burning hedge that doesn't burn up. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, look what well, look what Moses did, who we consider to himself be a fairly holy guy. Look what he did. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I don't have any idea what that was like. The closest thing I can imagine is when we had the solar eclipse. And they were they were telling people there's going to be a solar eclipse, and you're going to be able to look at it, but do not look at it directly. Because if you look at it directly, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to you're going to leave permanent damage. In fact, there was a news story about a, a guy who did this when he was a kid, 10 or 11, 12 years old, last time there was a solar eclipse. And and he looked right at it, didn't have any protection on it, and he still has the scar of where, of where the sun crossed over. It's, it's burned onto his retina, still damaged by that encounter. In the same way, I think Moses had this holy eclipse-like moment where the thing was, and I hate to say the thing, but, but what he was looking at was too bright for him to see, too powerful for him to, to lay on with human eyes. Um, You flip back to Isaiah chapter 6 while you're turning there. Think about this. Uh, the Sun is the source of all light now, relatively speaking, in terms of our galaxy and our solar system it 's not that huge of a star but but it's it 's quite powerful it, it keeps everything on life running smoothly, and without it we 're going to be some problems. but the closer you get to it, the more intense it gets. I was they, this last week, NASA sent a spacecraft, and its purpose is to go to the sun. Did you read about this? If you didn't, I'm going to read it for you. NASA is spinning a spacecraft straight into the sun's glittering crown, an atmospheric region so hot and harsh any normal visitor would wither. The Parker Solar Probe is is as heat resistant as spacecraft gets, essential for exploring our star closer than ever before. Here's why the spacecraft is so tough. Parker's lightweight heat shield is four and a half inches thick. It can withstand 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. That's warmer than it is in here right now, as well as extreme radiation. Thanks to its high-tech carbon, although the corona reaches millions of degrees, it is a wispy, tenuous environment, and so the spacecraft won't need to endure such severe temperatures. The eight-foot shield will face the sun during the close solar encounters, shading the science instruments in the back, keeping them as cool as 80, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. As one scientist notes, this is a shield that Captain America would envy. That's kind of interesting. This, this probe's going to circle the suns for seven years, and each time it's going to get closer and closer. Now, the first orbit—I mean, they just launched it—and we'll get to the sun in about November. Okay, the first orbit, and gets there uh, out of uh, 24 total orbits over the next seven years. At, at the, the the final orbit, that probe will be 3.8 million miles from the sun. To give you some perspective, we are 93 million miles. From the sun. So, you know, quite a bit closer than we are now. But it's not going to last, is it? Because even at 3.8 million miles from the sun, the sun's powerful enough, it gets any closer, it's going to fry. The shield, the instruments, all of it. They expect that to happen. When we come into the presence of God, when Isaiah, when Moses, when Abraham, when they experience this holy encounter with God, It it was just like that probe. It was like the closer that they got, the exponentially hotter, holier, intenser. The the word failing to come to me here. but, But you can only get so close to God before you realize you can't get any closer. You're not ready. You're not able. When we truly consider God's holiness, it brings us to one and only one conclusion. And that's that we are so unholy. Isaiah cried, Woe to me! I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips. See, the closer you get to God, and I, I understand that we speak it sort of, again, not understanding what Isaiah did, but the closer we get to him, the, the the more we understand we can't get as close as we'd like to be to him by ourselves, because our sin because our unholy because our everything that's unlike God keeps us from being as close to God as we could get his holiness his purity his strength his power would literally consume us um, that he, he, he in the vision has a vision of the the temple and The the center of the temple, of course, was the Holy of Holies. If you think about how the Jews approached God in the Holy of Holies, did they do that every day? They did not. Nah, it was one time per year by the chief priests. It was was a momentary thing, and it was not done lightly, because they knew if they did, that they would die. God promised them that, because His holiness was present there. the, the, The book of Leviticus... Uh, probably the killer of most people's daily Bible reading intentions when you get there. But there's a very important message in Leviticus. I mean, between all the rules and all of the, the stipulations and all of the old law, there's one purpose. Okay, Leviticus can be boiled down really just to one verse. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. In all of these rules and all of these stipulations, what you can do, what you can't do, the purification, the the sacrifices, what the high priest could do. There's one purpose in it. You must distinguish between the holy and the common. Between the unclean and the clean. The closer you get to God, the cleaner you need to be and and. In the same way, the cleaner you realize you can't be or ever become. This is why Isaiah said, woe to me. What am I supposed to do? I'm here in the presence of God. He's thinking, I am going to die because I shouldn't be here in the presence of the one who is holy. And so he comes fearfully into the presence of God. Now, quickly, some people have forgotten the holiness of God. Uh, not just today. And that, that does happen. But, but it, it has happened in scripture as well. Second um, Samuel chapter 6. There is the account of a man named Azah. And Azah is a guy that gives us some trouble. And the reason he gives us some trouble is because he was seemingly a, a good guy. But the scripture is clear that he acted in an unholy way. David, again, brought together out of Israel, chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a cart, and they brought it into the house from Aminadab, which was on the hill. Azah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps and lyres and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. When they came upon the threshing floor of Nacon, Azah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stung, stumbled. The Lord's anger Burned against Azar because of his, catch because of his irreverent act. He said, so, wait a second, Azar was just trying to simply save the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, doesn't that seem like a holy act? No, no, no. Because, see, they had, they had ventured away from God's instruction. God never said anything about building him a cart. If you look at the Old Testament instructions, the, the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried with poles, There's a reason God set those instructions, but somebody said, you know, those instructions are a little legalistic and a cart works so much better. It's so much more practical. And so they set the holy thing of God in an irreverent way. They pulled it in this cart and all of a sudden the cart had problems and a meaning to keep the ark from falling, reaches out to grab it. And the Lord says that's irreverence because you forgot who resides there. You forgot the holy God whose presence resided And you're not going to touch that thing. Um, The volunteer list got way shorter for cart duty the next week. There's other examples, Nadab and Abihu, but but they were basically what happened was they had utter disregard for the holiness of God, and it led to their deaths. Now you understand why Isaiah is totally terrified. But there's a there's a twist to the story. Don't go to the next slide, um, because we're out of time, and we'll just talk about the twist next week. So you got these two points: God is holy, and you and I are not. And and the the better we understand those two very simple and yet profound points, the better, and more reverent, not just our relationship but our worship. To God will be may we not forget what Isaiah learned without having to learn it the way in which Isaiah and Azah and Nadab and Abihu had to learn it. May we revere in our hearts the Lord and understand that he is holy and there is no one like him tonight if you do not if you are painfully aware of your unholiness, I have good news for them for you. That they didn't know about yet. That the holiness of God would be fulfilled in a man. The man, Christ Jesus. And because of his life, and mostly because of his death, the blood that was shed was able to atone for your unholiness. The the holy God sent himself and, and dwelt among us, among unholy people. Not that he might condemn us, but that he might save us. And if you do not know him tonight, well, how do you do that? The Bible is very clear. Jesus himself said, believe and be baptized. And you be baptized and you are in Christ. You're a part of covered in the blood. Your sins are washed clean and you belong now to the beautiful body of Christ. And you can do that tonight. And we'll do it gladly and let the concert be pushed back just a little bit more because that's most important. Angels will rejoice in heaven at one who's unholy, turning to the one, the only one who can make them. holy. If you're ready to come tonight, I bid you come. I'll meet you down front. Or if you have any other need that we can pray for you for, please come as together we stand and sing.